Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. As I've said earlier in other sermons and Bible teachings, the Gospel of Matthew is intended to reveal that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the law and the prophets point to. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 through 19, Moses tells the people of Israel that God will raise up in their midst a great prophet, one greater than Moses, whom they are to listen to. And the epiphany, we're in the season of epiphany here, the epiphany in our gospel reading as we go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount is that here is Israel's great and long-awaited prophet, Jesus. Here is the one who is greater than Moses, who teaches as one who has his own authority, so listen to him. Our gospel reading today, which is a section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus hits on three very important and interconnected topics. And these topics can cause a lot of confusion if not properly exegeted. And that when they're not properly exegeted, they thrust Christianity into a religion of works as opposed to what makes Christianity unique, a religion of grace. The first thing that Jesus talks about is the role of the Christian in the world. And this is a very important uh, topic to be discussed in our turbulent time. But then he says, the second is, is that he talks about is Jesus and our relationship to the law which consequently leads to our understanding and our profound understanding of grace. And then the third is the introduction to the standard of righteousness. First, Jesus lays out the role of the Christian in the world by telling the crowd, you are salt, you are light. Notice he doesn't say become, he says you are salt, you are light. This is what your baptism makes you. And salt is important because it seasons and preserves. It works hiddenly, and it highlights the main dish. Nobody ever goes to a restaurant and says, dang, I can't wait to have the salt. You know, (laughs) it never happens. No, you go for the main dish. And as a Christian, we must always remember we and what we are doing is not, nor will it ever be, the main dish. This is also why Jesus says, you are the light of the world. This is important in understanding our vocation as Christians, our calling as Christians in the world. We're not the sun. We're not the stars. We have no light on our own. The light does not originate with us. But like the moon, we're more like the moon. As Christians, we reflect the true light, as St. John writes, who has come into the world. The truth is, is that where the church is being salt, where the church is being light, You can't put it under a basket. And indeed it becomes... Absolutely. We're a shouting church here, as it's been said, but anyway. Where the church is being the light, you can't put it under a basket. And it becomes a city on a hill. Because our works come out of already being loved. We're not doing anything to get love. Our works come out of already being loved. Our works flow forth from grace and mercy, shown to us already by God in Christ, and given to us at our baptisms, so that our works become genuinely about our neighbor, and not some sort of hidden agenda to lift us up. 
At Calvary St. George's, we hold tightly to the principles of the Protestant Reformation and that we are justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. However, before our family and our friends and our co-workers, classmates, those who are classified as our neighbors, the light of Christ oftentimes shines through our works, our works of mercy, works of love, works of compassion. And it flows forth from that so that others may see them. And when they're genuinely about the neighbor and not about our agendas or lifting us up as more pious and righteous than everyone else, when it's genuinely about our our neighbor, people recognize that. And they begin to see that it's not from you. Oftentimes you won't even know you're doing it. But they'll see it's not from you but your Father in heaven. Our works flow forth from faith. But they are not what defines us as salt and light. This is a big misunderstanding in Christianity today. It is not what you do that defines you. And there are a lot of people out there that want to make Christianity like every other religion in the world. Prescriptive. What you do defines you. You'll oftentimes hear them say, yeah, yeah, grace, grace alone, of course, man, faith alone, Christ alone. So simple. But now you have to do something. It's interesting when you think about it, and I've been working on this, but every time you hear but, like seven times out of ten, it completely is a disclaimer for everything that's just been previously said. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, grace alone, but prove you're really a Christian. And this is discrediting the church on both sides of the political divide, and it's discrediting the church because it is muddling the message of the gospel. And clouding it up. And this is my first point. In the church, Jesus is the main dish. Everything else is just sides. I must have been hungry when I wrote this sermon, but anyway. (laughs) But nourished and refreshed by the gospel. The Holy Spirit, he guides our conscience in service of our neighbor. Doing your job well. Being a parent. Getting involved in gracious political advocacy. A whole host of things. You see, you lose the gospel. And this is the church's main thing. This is what we do. We do this to send you forth into the world. But what the church does is that we preach and proclaim the gospel. You see, you lose the gospel in the church. And the gospel is nothing else than the death and resurrection of Jesus for the justification of sinners. And as a church... When it loses that message and that proclamation of chief importance, it loses its saltiness. As a church, the lights are out. And we're left with nothing more than bland and oftentimes bad religion. So he moves through. You are salt already. You are light already. Go be what you are. So then Jesus moves to talking about his and our relationship to the law. And Jesus states powerfully, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Hear that. But to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and on earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of the letter of the law will pass until all is accomplished. And this is what he cries from the cross. It is finished. It is accomplished. This is very important because what Jesus is saying is is that he fulfills the law. And he has come to fulfill the law of God, not you. And he's come to do it on your behalf. 
This is powerful because it shapes our understanding of grace. When we talk about grace in the church, we're never talking about what's called cheap grace. You know, hey, God loves you because you're inherently special. You're inherently good. The Babylon Bee, which is a satirical newspaper, which I read all the time, their headline this week was, Scientists Still Unable to Locate Mankind's Innate Goodness. You remember that old school bus sign? It had a little boy like this. And it said, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, because God don't make no junk. That's cheap grace. And that is to relax the commands of the law. The kind of grace that Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount opens us up to understand is not cheap grace at all, but it is free. I'll take grace as free as I can get it. But free grace is not cheap, it's costly because Christ fulfills the law by the shedding of his perfect and precious blood to reconcile us back to God. I once read a sermon by an old English preacher named Derek Cleave. And Reverend Cleave, he was one of the great preachers in in the uh, uh, mid-20th century in England. Reverend Cleve told the story of a woman who had a very sick son, and as she was walking home past the royal orchard and thought surely some fresh fruit would help her son in his recovery. That moment, the king rode by and addressed her, to which she told the king about her son and his need for some fresh fruit. The king, filled with compassion, said, Of course, take all the fruit that you need. Overjoyed, she said, thank you, thank you, thank you. She began to pull out her purse and tried to pay the king. And the king said, no, 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 don't worry about it. No, no, take it easy. And, uh, and she said, no, of course, of course, I have to give you something. To which the king replied, madam, this fruit is far too expensive for you to ever pay me back. You can have it for free or not at all. And this is the thing with Grace. It's free, or it's not at all. And it's given to you freely. And this is my second point. Christianity is not about, nor has it ever been about, do your best and God will do the rest, some sort of nonsense. That is the definition of cheap grace. Christianity is ultimately about free grace, which you and I could never ever afford. Jesus didn't come to set aside the commandments, but came to keep them, and in keeping them, to fill them up with himself and bring them to their desired end. Our love fulfills the law only because Christ's love has already fulfilled it, and this love is poured out over every head in baptism and brings us to new life. So free grace then shapes our posture before God and ultimately helps us understand the standard of righteousness. Jesus declares, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes, these were extremely pious men. They lived today and were involved in the church. They would wear what would Jesus do bracelets. It's not what would Jesus do, it's what has Jesus done. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they were extremely pious men. They were both very religious and they were spiritual. And they developed a whole plan for your life to live a holy, righteous, and spiritual life and to avoid both big and little sins. 
However, as the apostles came to understand at the foot of the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to understand that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Never forget that as a church. Jesus came for sinners. For your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees of the scribes, that's not found in the answer to the question. Like that, that is not like he's teaching here to kind of bring you to the point of like, oh my gosh, what am I to do? The answer to let your righteousness exceed that in the Pharisees of the scribes, the answer to that is never found in is this okay, is that okay, is this sin, is that sin? The answer is never found in how to avoid sin. When someone asks me, is this a sin, from having dinner to hanging out with friends, constantly, what you want to say is yes. Sin is a state. And we ask this question because we're trying to appease our conscience with something else other than grace. For your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, ultimately what you need, what I need, is a righteousness outside of ourselves. That righteousness of Christ freely given by grace through faith in Christ alone. As my favorite Pharisee, St. Paul, once wrote. He was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. And he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, what I do, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God is based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And we do through the promises of the gospel. And this is my third point. Remember that song, I Will Try and Fix You? That is the antithesis of Christianity. You and I, we can't fix ourselves. And on our own, our righteousness is rubbish. You and I must die and rise. We must be born again. And we have been through the waters of baptism. And this is the free gift of God. And that his free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The law says unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in Christ Jesus, the gospel says you are covered with the righteousness not your own, but of him who has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And fulfill it he has all for you. That's what makes you salt. That's what makes you light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.